Today on the Texas Companion. The man, the myth, the legend. We take a good, hard look at Sam Houston, one of the founding fathers of the Lone Star State. Then, we visit a little town called Midlothian, Texas, just south of the DFW Metroplex, a city with a fascinating history, but not what you think. And after the forecast, we visit with Hungry Al to delve into some of the more prevalent Texas recipes that aren't widely known outside of the state. I'm Chet Greenspaul. I'm Barbara Ann Kalachi. And I'm Josephine Rochester. And this is the Texas Companion. It's definitely a stormy day here at the recording studios for the Texas Companion. Boy, howdy, it sure as heck is. We're going to hope that the power remains uninterrupted thanks to our studio's multiple backup generators. But the sky right now is black as the inside of a cat, with ominous lightning strikes and high winds outside. The forecast says there will be hail, right, Chuck? Oh, I promise nothing. But yes, the current dry line is colliding with... Jesus, man, a simple yes and no. Um, I'm your meteorologist. Yes or no, damn it. Hail? Um, maybe? I don't know. Likely, I guess. Fine. Moving on. No, wait. I want to know how big this hail is supposed to be. Uh... How big, Chuck? Hailstones will range in size from, er, um... Um, dime size to frozen turkey size. Ooh. Wow. Oh. I think. Well, thank heavens we're here in the studio, all of us. Except for Chet Greenspaw, who we've sent out into the field next to our recording studio to report back on the weather outside. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm gonna die! Someone might want to go check on him. Nah, we already have his recording of the next piece. Roll tape. It's hard to imagine Texas without, for one brief moment, thinking of one particular gentleman. His name is legendary. Tales abound of his many adventures. From his early life as one of the first native-born Americans in the territory to his noble death at the Alamo at the age of 64. Some of the stories are merely tall tales. Some are myths with no real evidence to back them up. But with careful perusal of historic documents, one may separate the wheat from the buckwheat. Today, we take a look at the true Texas facts behind the man they called Sam Houston. The year was 1793. Samuel Houston was born to John and Elizabeth Houston, both of whom were originally from France. The third child born to that family, Sam entered this life in a dirt-floored cabin in the Shenandoah Valley, which is located close to the modern Texas city of Port Comfort. 
The common belief used to be that Samuel spent his formative years working on his family's plantation. However, a discovery during the demolition of the Alamo in 2006 completely changed our understanding of Samuel Houston's life. As workers dug down through the heavy sand and igneous rock of the site, they discovered a hidden root cellar of the Alamo that had been forgotten by the ages. Within, they found merely a dilapidated table, some old rat-gnawed candles, and a small, leather-bound book with parchment pages. These pages were later identified and verified as the Lost Diary of Sam Houston. After working for years with the faculty of the University of Texas in Benbrook, we here at the Texas Companion have finally received scans of all 144 pages of the Lost Houston Diary. Started in October of the year 1813 when Samuel was still a growing lad, the Texas Companion now proudly presents part one of our exclusive find, The Secret Diary of Sam Houston. October 4th, 1813. I am writing these words by the light of a candle I made from bare fat in dear sinew. It has been hard learning to live like a man again. After ten years in the trees being raised by wolves, the return to civilization has been fraught with moments of confusion. But after Mr. Davy Crockett found me and reminded me that I am not a wolf, but a man, many memories have leapt back to mind. I was but eight years old when the Poxawachuki tribe laid waste to my father's farm, as well as my family. But I do remember my letters and the math my mother taught me at her knee. Wearing pants is hard, though, so very hard on the soul. After ten years of running wild and free, wearing naught but what the good Lord gave me next to my wolven brethren, this is a hard return. I do miss Red Fang, our chief, and his mate, Moonless Shadow. They turned me into the wolf, but man, I am today. I miss the pack. I miss the way the wind sang to me in the hills. The way we sang back at night with our howling. I miss that fresh taste of blood when my teeth were in the throat of a deer, taking it to the ground. I miss the mating. But now, here I am, inside the walls of this cabin. They tell me this city, with the wolves named in their guttural language, Argrach, <laughs> the stink pit, is called Merrillville, Texas. I am clothed as a proper white man should be. I am sad that my pack is no more. But I am by a fire, wearing pants, with a belly full of food and a glass of what men call whiskey. It is powerful stuff. I am content as I write these letters on these pages. I do not blame Crockett for hunting and killing my pack. The law of the wild says he was right to do so. But the fire of murder is in my wolf heart. I hear that there is a war started last year. Wolves do not commit war. This is a human construct. But I am a man, and I feel the need to join this war. It appears that the Americans are fighting against another cunt 
tree called Britain and their fellow pack, Canada. I do not know why these packs or countries fight so, but Davy has informed me that I am an American, and I will fight because blood, the kill, I need these. Tonight, as the fire crackles, and I write the English language with this pen and inkwell, I shall retire and think of the mating times, but only after I properly lick my butthole and testicles clean. I shall write in these pages again later to use the human magic of literacy to pen down my thoughts. As we said in the pack, That was enlightening? Indeed, that was certainly something. Did did he really spell out Aru? Uh, yeah, it's, it's right here on the page. It, it appears he did. And the university definitely confirmed that these pages are really Sam Houston's diary. Uh, yes, they did. Hmm. I guess you could say, uh, uh, that was sure something. Oh, well, kiss my grits, Josephine. Ha, ha, ha. All right. We'll read another page of the diary next episode. But right now, I do believe Barbara Ann has an investigative story that she's just dying to tell. Wait, is is she hurt? What? Is Barbara Ann dying? No, you idiot. Figure speech. Oh, okay, sorry. I, I let my, my cotton get all blown in the wind, that's all. Lord, I can't believe we let you back in the studio. In a state as big as Texas, many cities and towns have noteworthy names. Looking on the map, one can find international monikers such as Athens, Paris, and Rome. In the central areas, Germanic names become evident, as many of the early settlers were from Eastern Europe, towns such as Schulenburg, Berlin, and Weimar. But today, we take a look at a city that's been on the map for decades in the north-central area. Just south of the DFW Metroplex, next to the town of Waxahachie, lies an innocuous marker. The name? Midlothian. If you're not from North Texas, it's unlikely that you have ever heard the name Midlothian. And there may be a reason for that. As many of you at home will do, I checked. Google searches show that yes, Midlothian is a city about an hour south of Dallas. There are websites for its schools, businesses, even an entry on the digital maps one can find on the internet. The high school mascot is the Panther. The mayor, one Bill Houston, has apparently been in office since 2012. Online, you can find all manner of information on the local businesses. There's just one little problem. Midlothian does not exist. We never really thought this would go this far. <laughs> joining me in the studios is John Majors, a professional cartographer from Lubbock. Thank you for joining us, John. Great to be here, Barbara Ann. Now, John, we spoke a bit before this, and it all started when you were a student at the University of Salado, correct? Yeah, I studied there for my degree in geography back in 1989. Me and Gary Jones, who later founded MapDrive.com with me years down the road. 
So which of you had the idea for what you call the big prank? It was Gary. He was a real trickster. Total comedian, that guy. I just played along for the gag of it all. Where did you get the idea? Well, now, Gary and I were both really big nerds back then. We played Dungeons and Dragons, read a lot of fantasy novels, read comics, that sort of thing. And Gary Jones was probably the biggest Tolkien fan I've ever met. J.R.R. Tolkien, author of Lord of the Rings? Correct. Now, Tolkien did a book that came before The Lord of the Rings. A prequel, if you will. It's called The Cimmerillion. I've heard of it. But have you read it? What? Oh, no. I don't read a lot. And that was the genius of Gary's jokes. See, virtually nobody has read The Cimmerillion. It's a very dry read, given the backstories of some of the major characters of the later tale. Gandalf's origin, as well as the other Valar and Maya, and of course the backstory of the elves. I literally have no idea what you just said. Well, in The Lord of the Rings, one of the most powerful characters is the King of the Elves, Elrond. He, he's a half-elf really ancient, the son of Arendil and Elwick. And he was born in the magical land of... <laughs> wanna guess? Was his birthplace called Midlothian? <laughs> right in one! <laughs> so Gary put the town of Midlothian on the map for a prank. Technically not just a prank. In our final year at the university, we interned at Rand McNally, working on that year's Atlas of the United States. I'm not sure if you know much about the world of map making, Barbara Ann, but it's just rife with plagiarism. Map makers steal each other's map data all the time, so to keep that from happening, we sometimes put small, very fake towns into our maps. That way, if the fake towns show up in other maps, we know we've been plagiarized. Ah, so you inserted Midlothian as one of those. Any particular reason for the location? We put the marker really close to the big renaissance fair that Gary and I enjoyed attending. Fascinating. And how soon after the Atlas came out did you start seeing the plagiarism? Six months later. We found Midlothian on a map of Texas roads at a gas station in Waco. I laughed so hard I thought I was going to pass out, and Gary fell over. He couldn't even breathe. A year later, we found Midlothian on ten more maps. But you never sued any of the map makers for plagiarism? Oh, I wanted to at first. But after a while, well... Gary thought it was hilarious. He thought it was like we'd made a mark, and as long as Midlothian was on a map, it meant that mark remained. He was quite persuasive. But the joke didn't stop there, did it? In 1998, when the internet was brand new, Gary and I founded MapDrive. It was one of the first online mapping sites. It was an obvious idea to us, but people went crazy over it. Within two months, the company was worth more than a million dollars, which was a real shock. We, uh, celebrated. A lot. Cocaine and whores, I assume? The 1990s were a special time. Anyway, one night after our fifth bottle of champagne, Gary got a wild idea. The next day, he surprised me by showing me the new website for the city of Midlothian. Ah, so this became a cyber prank. Tickled me pink, it really did. He put up a site for this fake city, and he really went whole hog. He used pictures of Eugene, Oregon, as well as Hurley, Wisconsin. It looked so real, I mean, anyone would have been fooled. And it did fool people, correct? A lot. Really, a lot. There was an email address on the site, uh, info at midlothian.tx.us, a, a mailbox we'd set up as part of the gag. We suddenly got emails from people all over the country, people who wanted to visit Midlothian, and we responded to everyone with the reality. Midlothian is not a real place, and they'd fallen for a joke, but then it just exploded. Exploded? We saw online one day that someone else had set up a fake site for the high school of Midlothian. We didn't know at the time who was behind it. No clue. But God, Gary and I laughed hysterically over it. We emailed the webmaster, and it turned out to be just another college kid, geography major, who tripped to our prank. He didn't stop there. A week later, we found a website for a car wash in Midlothian. Then another site started springing up. So the joke went viral? 
If you go online today, my god, it's gotten insane. There's a Google Maps entry for Midlothian, complete with fake Google Earth topography. There's even a Wikipedia entry for this fake town. I wish Gary could have seen it. On that note, Gary passed away not long ago, correct? Yeah, prostate cancer. It was terrible. I'm sorry to hear that. But he left behind a real legacy, not just the fake town of Midlothian. Today, MapDrive.com is worth $18 million, and he left his widow and kid a good inheritance. I do miss him. Every day. He was my best friend. We did a lot together. So on this map that I bought, Midlothian is marked. What's actually there, on that spot? Not much. Just... You know what? It's not far from here. It's an hour's drive. You can get the GPS coordinates off Google. Wait, sorry. What? You should drive out there. This would be a good addition to your report. Drive out and see what's there. It'll be interesting to see your reaction. Wait, is it a cabin where you'll try to kill me? Wait, what? A girl can never be too careful. So I should go see what actually exists where the marker of Midlothian shows? Yeah, you should see it. Well, okay then. I should get to driving. Thank you for coming by, John. A pleasure. After looking up the GPS coordinates for Midlothian, I got into my car and headed south on Interstate 35, and then Highway 67. Once outside of the Metroplex sprawl, I patiently drove toward the little red dot on my phone screen. As I approached my exit, Farm to Market Road 1387, realization hit me. I'd driven past this area many times. My aunt lives in Alvarado, and I'd gone through the imaginary town of Benlothian repeatedly when driving out to visit. The little dot on the GPS showed me that the remainder of my trip would have to be on foot. I pulled over to the side of the road, activated my hazard lights, and began walking across an overgrown, unfenced field. After walking another hundred yards, my phone indicated that I was exactly at the GPS coordinates. I scanned the horizon. Pastures unfurled in swaths of yellow and green for as far as the eye could see. Off in the distance, I could barely make out the edge of the city of Waxahachie. No cars were evident anywhere near me. All was peaceful. Then, about twenty feet away, I noticed it. In the tall grass, a pile of ruddy red bricks. A makeshift cairn, about three feet tall. As I approached, I noted that the top brick had writing etched into it. What it said took my breath away. In memory of Gary G. Jones, creator of the Texas city of Midlothian. For as long as maps exist, he shall not be forgotten. I stood there for a while, enjoying the emptiness. Well done, Gary, and well done, John Majors. May the imaginary city of Midlothian persist in the world of maps for all time. From a hotel in the middle of nowhere, I'm Barbara Ann Kalachi. And now... Here's our own wonderful meteorologist, and a fine specimen, if I dare say so, Chuck Dubois, with the weather. Why, thank you very much, Josephine. You can call me Josie on the air if you'd like to. That's sweet of you. All right, weather, right. A newly formed dry line has been spotted running from the panhandle down through Texarkana and ending in Abilene. As most of you already know, this means there is a good chance for sneaky hail, sultry wind, and a dangerous rise in humidity. Highs will linger in the low to mid-hundreds, dropping several points on the NASDAQ each night until right up against the FDA guidelines. On Friday, a lurking sense of despair will doggedly cling to everyone between the ages of 16 and 38, 
followed by partly cloudy skies and abundant sunshine overnight. Look for a weekend of fun and frolicking, unless you live in Galveston, where you'll just pray the hangman will slack his rope. Now on to you, Chet. Thanks, Chuck. Speaking of foul weather, summer is here. And although most people think of hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill, we here at the Texas Companion thought it might be fun to introduce some of the regional treats of Texas to all listeners. Texas is a big, big state, and many local flavors change from region to region. We sent Josephine to Hungry Owl's Chicken and Grits in Tyler, Texas, to investigate some of the more unique flavors of the Lone Star State. listeners. I'm at Hungry Al's Diner today in Tyler, Texas with the owner Al Jurgensen. Welcome back to the show, Al. Welcome back to my restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alan, you're going to show us three of the more unique dishes of Northeast Texas, correct? Oh, yup. The Texarkana area has its own distinct cooking style, one that not many people hear about, even in other parts of the state. Why is that, Alan? Well, you see, this area was originally settled by railroad workers from both the east and west coasts, so you get some East Texas recipes that have Asian, Irish, and Nordic flavors mixed in. Take this dish, for instance. I've been trying to figure out what that is. Looks almost like a scoop of ice cream and a plate of yellow gravy. Oh, that's not gravy or ice cream, <laughs> but it is a scoop. That's a Texarkana classic, onion pudding. I assume you mean like a bread pudding, but with onions? You sure got that right. The gravy is actually a compote of caramelized onions and the scoop in the middle is a mixture of sourdough bread and more onions with various spices. This is a traditional holiday dish around these parts, usually served for Christmas, Hanukkah, and the 4th of July. Mmm, I've never tried this before. The texture is really soft and the savory pudding works well with the sauce. Almost like mashed taters, really. It's a pretty popular item here at the diner, especially during the Sunday lunch rush. And next, we have another diner favorite, these little tasty treats right here. Are those chicken nuggets? You ain't too far off the base. This is a recipe that won a Betty Crocker competition in 1953, and its popularity is just as strong today. In the original cookbook, they're called Lone Star Hootie Puppies. Most people nowadays just call them Hootie Pups or Hooties. I heard of these. They sell them at the state fair in Fort Worth. Now, what's the recipe? Well, first of all, you get an owl. I prefer barn owls, but some people swear that the best hooties are made with the great horned owl. Owl? Is it a live owl? <laughs> well, if you really want to, sure, but most Texas butchers already have plucked and cleaned owl meat on hand. Oh, that reminds me. Might want to warn your listeners about the legality and all. Owls are no longer federally protected and are legal to hunt and eat in Texas, but beyond our borders, local and state laws might still prohibit the killing of owls. That's handy information. So, you get some owl meat? Yes, ma'am. Chunk it up into bite-sized pieces, then soak the meat overnight in buttermilk. Make sure you do it in the fridge, mind you. Don't want no botulism in my owl, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, ma'am. 
but that almost never happens. Anyhow, when you're about 40 minutes from eating, you heat up some coconut oil in a pan and you get your regular old beer batter ready. Dip the owl meat in batter, then fry it up at 400 degrees until all the pieces are this color and they all float to the top of the oil. Mmm! This is all tasty! What's this dipping sauce? Oh, oh no! God damn it! Oh, I am so sorry. <laughs> I worked really hard on those, Josephine, and I didn't even get to have any! Oh, oh my, I'm sorry, Alan, my hand slipped. Damn it all! <sighs> sorry about that, Josie. I'm just in a terrible mood and really hungry. It's that time of the month, you see. What time of the month is that, Alan? Inventory. You know, I've been up since 5 a.m. doing inventory. Gotta count everything, put in orders for stuff. Oh, it's all right, Al. Yeah, and I took a few model before you got here, so that'll help with the uh, headache. Well, at least we have this final local dish, and I have to say, it looks both familiar and yet strange. It's a sandwich, correct? You got that part right. But unlike anything I've ever seen before, it looks sort of gooey. Would you believe that that gooey part is why people order it? And is that frosting? No, even more unique. We take a bunch of Concord grapes, seedless of course, and smash them in a bowl until they're completely mush. Then we add some pectin and refrigerate it overnight. It turns the grapes into a thick, cold, but sweet sauce. Goodness, how odd. Oh, it gets better. We then take a bowl of peanuts without the shells and crush them over and over. They turn into crumbs? Would you believe that there's enough oil in the peanut that they turn into goo when you crush them? I did not know that. Do go on. Well, you add a little bit of salt and a pinch of sugar to the peanut paste and keep mixing until smooth. I found a good processor helps out a lot with this. So, that's the brown stuff I see on this. And the purple stuff is the grape goo. Yes. You take the grape jelly and spread it across one slice of bread, almost like frosting on a pancake. Then you take the peanut goo, or peanut butter as my grandma used to call it, and spread it on another piece of bread. Then, and this is crucial, you put the slices of bread together, soft faces first, peanut to grape. <laughs> I won't lie, I'm kind of a steak and taters gal. This sandwich looks kind of fancy for my tastes. Oh, go ahead and take a bite. It won't give you cramps. What? It won't hurt you. Go on, take a bite. All right. Um, here goes nothing. Mmm, oh my lord, this is delicious. Around these parts, we call this a peanut butter and grape jelly sandwich. The fruit and peanuts work so well together. Don't they just? How is this not a well-known recipe across the nation? Well, we're kind of private people here in East Texas, and I guard this recipe strongly. If this got out into the public, hell, Moms at home would be making this for their kids for school lunches, and I can't have that. Understood. 
Thank you for showing us these recipes, Hungry Al. Oh, thanks for having me. And hey, do you have a sanitary napkin? Uh, uh, what? You know, a napkin for my face. Oh, I got peanut butter on it. Oh, oh, here's your napkin. Thank you. Coming up next time on the Texas Companion. Are cows sentient? And does anyone care? They're delicious. And then we see about the controversy about transgender bathroom rights. Wiping from the front or the back, sitting or standing, we look into the issues. Are leather daddies a thing? And if they are, why won't they return my calls? All that and more next time. I'm Chet Greenspaw. I'm Josephine Rochester. I'm Barbara Ann Kalachi. And I'm Sam Houston. And we here at the Texas Companion Podcast wish you a wonderful, wonderful Texas day. This episode of The Texas Companion is written by Jay Grant, Robert Fox, and Mel Hines. Produced by Amber Reed, Mel Hines, Robert Fox, Tracy Stark, and Jay Grant. The voice of Barbara Ann Kalachi is Mel Hines. The voice of Josephine Rochester is Tracy Stark. The voice of Hungry Al is Amber Reed. The voice of Chet Greenspaw is Jay Grant. The voices of both Sam Houston and Chuck Dubois are Robert Fox, who is also reading these credits. Special guest appearance by James Sandlin Ashby as John Majors. You can find more of his work, including novels, short stories, plays, and more at tolmarstories.com. That's T-O-L-M-A-R stories.com. Background music provided by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Original guitar music is by Jay Grant. May he burn in hell eternally. For more Texas Companion fun and information, check out our website at texascompanion.org. Questions and feedback can be emailed to info at texascompanion.org, and you can like and share our page on Facebook anytime you want. We're also on SoundCloud, the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, and we're working on sneaking our episodes into local prisons. Check it out. Thank you, and have a wonderful Texas day. Um, dime-sized to frozen turkey-sized. Ooh! <laughs> oh. Kiss my grits. Oh, okay. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Do the ooze and the ahs again without the kiss my grits. Sorry. Ooh! Wow! Oh. Yeah, hold on. Y'all <laughs> 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 some funny motherfuckers. All right. <laughs> Who's an Aussie? Okay. <laughs> Do it without sounding like you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs>